You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up, church family? What's up, Refuge fam? Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you don't know me, if you're new, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here at Refuge. Refuge is a new church plant in Southeast Austin, serving the Austin area at large. And hey, we're we're trying to get the word out, right? And so we would love to connect with you. If you would do me a favor, I know you just met me. I'm already asking for favors, but if you do me a favor and jump into the video description, click the connect link. It'll pop up a little form. Send that form over to us. We would love to learn more about you, reach out to you, learn how we can pray for you, learn if there's any way we can serve you. In addition to just sending you a little more information about who we are, what we're doing, inviting you to get involved in any way that you you feel led to. And so thank you again for joining us today, uh, and we look forward to connecting with you. Now, to the task at hand. Uh, hey, you know what time it is. We're jumping into the scriptures today. We're going to continue our sermon series in Jonah. We've been working through the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, and uh, I've enjoyed it a lot, right, working through uh, kind of transitioning from this idea of Jonah and the big fish into the, the, the real story of Jonah, which is the story of God's unrelenting love, whether it be for rebellious cities, disobedient prophets. It's an amazing story. And today we're continuing by jumping into Jonah chapter 3. Uh, and I'm excited about today because my preparation this week kind of intersected what I love in scripture with uh, my love for movies and my newfound love for Christmas. If you know anything about me, uh, or if you know a little bit of my past, you know that I wasn't never like a really big Christmas guy. Uh, my mom was really into it, and I was like that like little rebellious teen. I was like, I don't like Christmas because my mom loves it, uh, right? And then we had our own kids, my oldest, Leah, almost three, and then our son, Jews, a little over one. And um, yeah, it's like now I see the magic in their eyes, and I love Christmas now, right? That whole thing. And so the intersection is that as I was preparing, uh, this this text really reminded me of uh, of a story. All right, in, in Christmas we get all these Christmas classics that start coming at us, right? And one of those Christmas classics is uh, a Christmas Carol, the Charles Dickens joint, right, from way back in the day. All right, and, and we get all these different versions of this movie coming at us during Christmas time. But but overall, it tells the same story: the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, the the crotchety old man, kind of waving his cane and being like bah humbug. He's heartless and and really cold toward everyone and hurts people and it's greedy, all them things. And then one Christmas Eve night, uh, he is met by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And he sees all his past pain, the way his life is currently hurting other people. And then eventually sees the fate that he has with that. And in this uh, in this grave that really with no one mourning him, no one kind of sad that he's gone, it, it's, it's really kind of horrifying. And he wakes up the next morning, this pierces his heart and he's like a whole new man, right? He's, he's given out uh, money, he's given out to a charity. He's hoisting Tiny Tim, like the the young disabled boy in in the in the movie or in the book, whatever. Y'all, I just gave myself up, y'all, because I ain't never read that book. I've just watched the movie, <laughs> um, right? He's like a whole new person, and it catches our attention, right? This type of story it captures our imagination. It it moves us, and I think there's a reason for that. Okay, I think that's because as a culture, we're a people, and have really always been a people uh, that love the idea of growth. I'm going to say that again. As a culture, we love the idea of 
growth. Just think about some of the shows that are like that have been really popular over the last few few years. You have Extreme Makeover, both home and personal editions, right? You have The Biggest Loser or like the Queer Eye on Netflix, uh, tidying up. I think that's the name of it. Tidying up the Marie Kondo joint. Everybody was super big. If it doesn't bring you joy, get rid of it, right? That whole thing and so many others. All of them with one thing in common. They're all about the idea of growth, the idea of the person that we want to be, the idea of the person that we are, and and becoming that new person, right? The idea of growth. But they have something else in common, right? The other thing they have in common is that they're all roughly 45 minutes long, right? They're all 45 minutes long, meaning all these shows take the actual process of growth And they shrink it down, cut out all the parts that we don't want to see, shrink it down to this 45-minute bite-sized taste of of growth and where we can be. And we as a culture just get it and we just eat it all up. We just eat it all up. And again, I think there's a reason for that. Because here's the deal. We like the idea of growth, but, but hear me not the process of growing. I'm going to say that again. As a culture, as people, we like the idea of growth, but not the process of growing. You see, similar to our friend Ebenezer Scrooge, the process of growing often involves seeing and wrestling with things like painful memories, hard truths, regrets, shame, and embarrassment. For the sake of our our talk today, to to kind of give a package deal to all that, we're going to call that bad news. All right, the process of growing often involves seeing and wrestling with bad news. All right, and here we we avoid bad news in our culture like the plague. We avoid it. That's kind of like a, a weird a weird little one to say considering we're in a pandemic, but really think about the way we avoid the pandemic right now. That's how we avoid bad news. We hate bad news. Because often what we believe as a people is that the easiest and fastest way to get to good news is simply to avoid bad news. But, but I'm not sure that's true. In fact, I want to lovingly tell you something as, as your pastor, right? Like, friend, if that's you and that's what you believe, I want to lovingly tell you, friend, that's a lie. That's a lie. The entirety of scripture, but specifically today in Jonah 3, We learn from the teachings of scripture that that it's actually through wrestling with bad news that we find the treasure of good news, right? That that idea that like only like through a coal comes a diamond, through through sifting through the soot, we find gold, right? That, That wrestling with bad news actually reveals the treasure of good news. And as we get that treasure of good news, what I'm praying for is is that today we would actually be equipped to wrestle with the bad news. Get it? Today, by the end of this, we're equipped to wrestle with the bad news, with painful memories, with hard truths, with regrets, with embarrassment, with shame, so that they can give way, so that that wrestling can give way to finding the freedom and the joy that comes with good news. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. I'm hoping that you're excited. 
Okay, and I'm ready to dive in. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, if you're new with us again, we've been covering the book of Jonah, and I want to do like a short review. Okay, it was the past couple of weeks we've we've got unpacked quite a bit. If you were with us in week one, you learned about how Jonah was actually a prophet from the nation of Israel, and in Jonah chapter one, right, verse one, God gives the Jonah, the the, the prophet, a command to go and preach to a city called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was actually the the soon to be capital of a, a nation called. Assyria, which was basically like the arch nemesis, right, of Israel. And so God was basically like, hey, go preach to your arch nemesis. And Jonah got up and went the exact opposite direction. He was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. He went the exact opposite direction, got on a boat and headed to a city called Tarshish. Uh, and through a series of events was actually tossed off of the boat. And when he was tossed off of the boat, everybody's favorite part, he's swallowed up by a giant fish. And l- last week is actually when, uh, Sean, our other pastor, our executive pastor, broke down chapter two, right? The song of thanksgiving that comes in. And soon after that song of thanksgiving, the scripture says that uh, that big fish vomits Jonah onto land. And that's where we pick up the story today. Okay, what happens after he's vomited up onto land in Jonah, cha- in Jonah chapter 3? Okay, and where we pick up, we, we see the story, uh, Jonah at the beginning of chapter 3 receives the command again from God to go and preach to Nineveh. The object hasn't changed, right? That's still the goal, except for this time, Jonah gets up and he goes to Nineveh. And he preaches destruction, says, hey, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. It's going to be demolished. And to everyone's surprise, the Ninevites, this violent, evil people, are like, okay, we're going to go ahead and turn away from our violent and evil ways. Nineveh responds with repentance from the top to the bottom. And and the story culminates uh, with God relenting from the disaster he was going to bring. It's a powerful story. It's almost like a Hebrew Christmas carol, all right? Uh, it, and it also teaches us a lot, aside from being similar to the Christmas carol, it also teaches us a lot about wrestling with bad news, okay? It teaches us a lot about wrestling with bad news. And right now, maybe that's a little hard to see, but, but here's the deal. What I want to do is I want to go into here and I want to pull out three little tidbits that I think we learn that help us, that equip us with wrestling uh, with bad news or in wrestling with bad news. And to, to address these three ideas, I want to use three R's, you know, like the whole alliteration helps us remember things, all that good stuff. But I want to take it slow. I don't want to give you all the R's right now. I want to give you the first R and then we're going to slowly make our way through the next two. All right? <laughs> the first R that we're going to do is receive. They receive. Okay. What do they receive? Well, let's see. We're going to go ahead and look at the first four verses of Jonah, chapter 3. I'm reading from the CSB. That'll be on your screen. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive in. Jonah, chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Nineveh will be demolished. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Amen. All right, so receive. All right, well, um, what did they receive? (laughs) Well, let's check out uh, verse 4. It says that Jonah strolled in there and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. 
What do they receive? Well, they receive some bad news. All right, like that, that's what they receive. Like put yourself in their position for one second. All right, what if a stranger, imagine a stranger's rolling up to your house, knocking on your door, you open it, and he's like, hey, you, in 40 days, you, your family, your friends, all Dunskis, all right, out of here, destroyed, demolished. If by this point you hadn't slammed the door in this dude's face, I'm assuming the next question would be like, why? And then he just started listing off all the things you've done wrong. How would you respond to that? What would you do? Take a second. Think about it. What would you do? Now, maybe that's a little hard to answer, right? Because that's extreme and it seems so far-fetched. But let's make it a little more personal. Because I think if we make it a little more personal, we'll learn a little something about ourselves that will reveal how we probably would have responded to that situation. Let's make it a little more personal. Let's bridge the context and and put it in our own time. Think about it like this. Let's play this role-playing game. What did you do the last time a friend or family member simply confronted you about something? What did you do the last time a friend or family member simply confronted you about something, about something they felt was hurtful, something they didn't appreciate, uh, something that they believe hurt someone else or something they thought was just unjust or not right? How did you respond then? I'm assuming what you're saying is, that y'all had a respectful and peaceful conversation. You either apologized or perhaps you mutually and respectfully agreed to disagree. No, that's not what you're saying. Let's be honest. You argued. You probably got into a fight. And if you didn't argue out loud, you at least like cussed at the person in your brain, right? Like that's more than likely what happened. I'll go so far to say that some of y'all, and obviously none of us are thankful that there's a pandemic, but some of you are relieved that you don't got to go to holidays this year and see certain people that you know is going to pop off with, right? Some of us are relieved. Some of you are relieved because you know how it goes. Someone says something, you don't agree, a fight starts, or maybe you just silently get offended and walk away with that frustration, anger, resentment right here. Why? Why? Friends, because we hate bad news. We hate bad news. We hate hearing where we fall short. We hate hearing where we've messed up. We hate hearing how we failed. It crushes us, makes us feel embarrassed. It, it fills us uh, with a sense of shame. We become ashamed. We, we get angry. And, and, and hear me, I understand. I understand that sometimes what we're saying is, hey, like someone's lying about us. They're spreading rumors. I understand that. But in my experience... This kind of visceral, angry response is definitely not limited to when someone's spreading rumors about us. In fact, I would go so far to say that it's probably even worse. It's probably even more emotional, even more visceral when something is said that's true. When what we're accused of is true. It's even worse when someone says something about us, confronts us not with rumors or he says, she said, but with something that's true. Because in that moment, we don't feel lied on. We feel naked. Right? We don't feel incorrectly seen. We feel seen through. Right? We don't feel unjustly treated. We feel unworthy of love. That's because in reality, friends, for a lot of us, we're living our life like on a tightrope. Like, you know, the circus, right, in in the tent, if they still do tents, um, where there's those two big poles and there's the rope across and someone's trying to walk and keep their balance, right, that type of deal. That's how we're living our life. 
And the balancing act is, is what we do right, the perception we put out to everybody else, right? Who we want them to see us as. The end point is the comfort of affirmation, love, acceptance, the promise that, that will be seen, that will be enough. And the fall, the fall is the scary possibility that if someone learns too much about me, they may see me differently. And if they see me so differently, there's a possibility that someone might not want anything to do with me. Hear me again, the, the, the fall is this scary possibility that if someone learns too much about me, they may see me differently. And if their opinion about me changes enough, maybe they won't want anything to do with me at all. How did I get here? Well, think about your own life. Think, think, about, think about a time you've ever got into it, gotten into it with someone that you care about. Someone that you care about. Not even someone you love a lot, just someone you care about. Right, like, like after, think about if there's no resolution, how many of us have felt that like kind of pit in our stomach, right? That kind of like uneasy feeling, that kind of like, like anxiety, that fear. What that is, is that's really the fear that what if that person never looks at me the same? What if this relationship isn't the same again? What if it's never mended? How do I know that? Well, think about the only relief to that feeling. The only relief is when we've been reassured that the, the relationship is fine. Right When that anxiety, when that lifts up off of us, it's more than likely because someone came and was like, hey, we're good. And then we felt like, oh, good, okay, we're good. That anxiety is the fear of whether someone will see me so differently that I'll never be loved by or be able to give them my love again. Okay, even if it's about something ridiculous, right? We fight about what type of peanut butter did you a crunchy person or a creamy person we all know creamy people are of god and crunchy people are not i'm just playing but even right even in that moment you're filled with a sense of anxiety that's like what, what if i'm never going to like be able to argue with that person about peanut butter again it can be that dumb but it reveals this type of fear in us that's what i want to get it reveals this type of fear the fear of what if the bad news what if the bad news about what I've thought or maybe what I think or what I do or what I feel, right? These things that I want to hide, what if they're so bad that they separate me from someone else? Friends, we hate bad news. We hate it. We hate it. We despise it. We hate the way it makes us feel. We hate the possibility of what it means when we're accused of it and it feels like it might be true. We hate it. The hate is really what makes the next R in the story so unfathomable, right? Because after the Ninevites receive bad news, they repent of bad news. That's the second R, they repent. Or to put this another way to help us grasp the idea, they take responsibility for the bad news. Okay, they take responsibility for the bad news. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 5 with me real fast. It says, then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. You see that? Jonah came through and was like, hey, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And they were like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So sorry. What? It says they start fasting and put on sackcloth. What does that mean? Go check out this. This is a, a quote from Jay Sklar, a theology professor uh, at Covenant Seminary. And in his, his commentary on Jonah, he says this. 
In the context of repentance, fasting was a way to humble yourself before God and devote time to confessing your sins to him. Similarly, sackcloth was a sign of mourning, just as black clothing is in many societies today. In the context of repentance, it was a way of saying, I am grieving because of the wrong I have done. What? Not eating so that you have more time to confess sin? Wearing grieving clothes? Mourning after all the wrong that you've done? Can you imagine that? Try to imagine responding like that. I'm just going to use myself as a personal example, right? If someone walked up to me and was like, hey, Josh, you're horrible. And I was just like, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm horrible. I've done wrong. If you're like me, if you're anything like me, that idea sounds horrible. That sucks, right? Like, that's trash. I don't want to think about that. Why? Because in order to take responsibility, like, in order to respond like this, Okay, with this, this deep emotional, I mean, full response, we have to take responsibility. We have to take deep ownership of what we've done, of what we've thought, of what we've said, of what we've felt. And if you're anything like me, which I'm assuming at least some of us are, that thought is horrifying to us. Because if we take responsibility, if we say sorry, then we concede what you're saying about me is fundamentally right. Your problems with me are fundamentally right. The way you see me at root is right. That's horrifying. Because when I'm so emotionally naked, Right? Like, like, I don't have anywhere to hide. The things that I've wanted to keep from you and keep from other people and keep from, from everyone, the, the things that are keeping me, that are keeping my balancing act so that I can get to the, to the end of the tightrope, once I've, once I've conceded and just said, I'm sorry, I take responsibility, I'm just left with nowhere to hide anymore. And when I'm that vulnerable, when we're that vulnerable, our greatest fear is that the next thing you say is going to cut me so deeply that it's going to change the way I see myself, maybe for the rest of my life. So when I say sorry, when I repent, I come face to face with harsh realities that are true, but that I never, ever wanted to hear, that I never wanted to hear. All the things that we hoped weren't true, we come face to face with when we repent, when we take ownership, when we take responsibility. So when someone says, hey, you're, you know, you're selfish, and I say, I am, I'm just confronted with that truth of, you know, yeah, I am selfish. When someone says, hey, you're self-centered, and I say, yeah, you're right, I am self-centered. I'm confronted with that reality that who I thought I was or who I want to be at the moment I'm not because the reality is I'm self-centered. When someone says, hey, you're, you're proud, you struggle with pride. And I say, yeah, you, you're right. It reveals that I'm not the humble person I want to be. I'm, I'm actually just full of pride. When, you, when someone says you're kind of cruel, it reveals that, hey, I'm not, I'm not the kind person that I like to picture myself as, that I like to promote and try to uh, uh, put off on other people. But maybe I'm actually kind of cruel. Those moments where we're confronting those those realities of who we are that are scary, things that we hope no one would see, things that we don't feel comfortable with revealing ourselves, that when we look in the mirror, things that we don't necessarily hope we see, 
They make us what we, we <laughs> when they're out in the open, the scary thing is we have to deal with them. Right? We have to deal with them now. That's what happens when we take responsibility and we repent. And so where do we go from here? What do we do from here? Maybe some of us are thinking, all right, cool. I just need to, to kind of buckle down the hatches and, and our pride kicks in and we think, okay, I'm just going to claw my way out of here. I'll do better. I'll grow, right? Just That hits you with just more bad news. That hits you with more bad news. We realize we're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough to grow ourselves. Just more bad news. So what do we do from here? What do we do from this moment? And here's the funny thing, friends. It's in this bad news that we're finally ready to receive the good news. Okay, it's actually in this bad news that we are finally ready to receive the good news. Okay, the scriptures teach us that it is not us that crawl and, 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 and scratch and claw our way back to God up from the bottom, but rather it's God that comes to us, especially when it means that he's coming to the bottom. Okay, even think about the main story, think about the main storyline of Jonah. Okay, that God loves us so much that he will go to any lengths in order to find us, to find you, to love you, to forgive you. And nowhere, friends, is this more true than in the good news in the story of Jesus. When the Bible teaches us about Jesus, it says that when he's alive on earth, he lives perfectly. He lives perfectly. And I know that's hard for us to understand. So let's try to break it down. What, what that means is that when he came to live on earth, when he was alive, he walked and he lived patiently in the most perfect sense of patience that you can think of. Okay, he walked, he, he lived humbly. Okay, he, he lived kindly. He lived selflessly. You name it. Think about the, the type of characteristic that you want to see in other people, the things that you wish you were. Right? Like, that's what he did. You name it. That's who he was. Yet the amazing part of Jesus' story is that he takes the cross and dies as one who's impatient, proud, cruel, and selfish, so that we who were actually impatient, proud, and cruel, and selfish could now be forgiven, yes, but also so that we could now be made patient, humble, kind, and selfless. The bad news is, is good to wrestle with because it's in the bad news that we find the good news, okay? Because it's in the bad news, it's at the bottom that we have nowhere else to take our junk but then to the feet of Jesus, to bring our bad news to the feet of Jesus. That's the process of growing, right? How do we grow? What's the process of growing? How do we get better? By bringing our bad news to the feet of Jesus and experiencing the good news, Okay, how do we grow in being patient? We bring our impatience to the feet of a patient God and experience what patience looks like, and it spurs our patience forward. Right, right. How do we grow in humility? Well, we bring our pride to the feet of a humble God and experience humility, and it spurs our humility. Right, right. How do we grow in kindness? Well, we bring our cruelty to the feet of a kind God and experience kindness from him, and it spurs our own kindness. You can go on and on like this. Right, that's the process. That's the rhythm of repentance. That's the process of growing. The reality is 
The process of growing is bringing our sin to the feet of a loving and forgiving God and experiencing love and experience forgive, experiencing forgiveness and it's spurring our holiness. It's spurring our own character. It's spurring our heart. Friends, what makes repentance worth it? What makes wrestling through the bad news worth it? Forgiveness. This forgiveness, it's incredible. Okay, in that forgiveness, when we're walking in that, in that rhythm that I'm talking about, man, we find the, the strength we need to grow, right? We, we learn that it's not in our own strength, but rather it's in his strength. It's in his patience that I grow from impatience. It's in his kindness I grow from cruelty, right? We cover this. That forgiveness, that grace, that's powerful. It's powerful, Friends, it's powerful because it teaches us that, yes, our bad news is, in fact, as bad as I thought it was because it has separated us from someone. It separated us from God. But that forgiveness shows us that as bad as our bad news is, it's overpowered by the good news of God's love and forgiveness. There's nothing left to do but rejoice. That's the last R. There's nothing left to do in that besides rejoice. We receive the bad news, we repent of the bad news, and then we rejoice because the only thing left to do is rejoice. He's paid it in full. There's nothing less we have to do to make up because the sinless lamb of God took on the sin of the world so that we who were sinners could now be made whole, could now be made holy in him. There's nothing left to do but rejoice, friends. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's what we're called to. That's what, that's what this is about. That's what Jonah's about. Man, ooh, golly. I'm preaching now. If y'all were here, I would be expecting some feedback. All right, that's all I'm saying. Whew. You know, this idea, what we're talking about, this forgiveness, right? This, this gospel, this good news that comes as we wrestle through the bad news. It reminded me of a story that came out of South Africa in the years after apartheid. Yeah, if you don't know, apartheid was kind of like Jim Crow here in America. Um, it, it was laws that really kept whites and blacks in South Africa apart. And these laws were in place from roughly 1948 into the early 90s, okay? And after it was over, uh, many were put on trial for the crimes they had committed during apartheid. And one of those who was put on trial was a police officer named Mr. Vanderbilt. Okay, and the crimes he was accused of, y'all, they were outrageous. They were cruel. Uh, the type of cruelty that it, it doesn't make sense. They're not crimes of passion. They're, they're, they're crimes of malice. The first one was when he came to a specific woman's house, the woman who was a plaintiff in this case. And the report found, and the evidence found, that she had shot her son, her teenage son, point blank. And then he dragged the body away, and to conceal the evidence, burned it in a field, burned the young man's body in a field, and then went to go party with his friends while the body finished. In addition to that, sometime later, this same woman, her husband had gotten into an altercation with this same group of men leading to uh, this same Mr. Vanderbilt murdering her husband as well. And consequently, after that, killing, burning his body as well. 
at the trial, after hearing all of the evidence, the judge, or maybe the jury, I can't remember clearly now, uh, called the woman and asked her what she what she wanted to see happen in terms of justice to this officer. And, and the woman responded with something that I think floored everybody there and continues to floor people now. She said, I want three things. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly for Mr. Vanderbilt to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have. And finally, I would like Mr. Vanderbilt to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbilt in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. Multiple sources that I read about this story said that as this woman slowly and gently made her way across the room, the courtroom crowd began to slowly hum, building to a full chorus, a full choir. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see and as the woman made her way there multiple people said that Vanderbilt began to shake uncontrollably as he was weeping in his chair A type of forgiveness. It's powerful, friends. It's powerful. I wonder if this moment was in the mind of President Nelson Mandela, a survivor of apartheid and the future president of South Africa, when he said, forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That's why it is such a powerful weapon. Today, friends, it's my prayer that we would know the liberation of that forgiveness, right? That we would know that, hey, when we bring our bad news to God's feet, we are met with a grace that makes bad news into good news, right? That, that we are met with a love that, that, that casts out all fear, that we would know the freedom of what it means to walk in liberty and in freedom, knowing that, that there is now nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Man, these are the things that, that free us. And, and really, it's this that shapes our heart, that begins to transform our lives, right? And then our lives begin to touch and transform other lives. This is not just the means by which we receive freedom. This is the means by which we accomplish the mission that we set out to do as Refuge Community Church. 
right? Our mission says that we desire to glorify God by making disciples that shape our city, our communities with the love of Jesus, right? This is the freedom we want to see in other people's lives, that they would, would, would come to terms with wrestling uh, with the bad news and let it give way to the liberating and freeing good news of Christ's forgiveness of his redemption that makes us whole. Friends, this is the rhythm I want, I so deeply long to see in your life, long to see in us as a church, long to, to see in us as a community, that I long to see as a rhythm for us as a city, the city of Austin. It happens here first. It happens here first. It happens with you and me wrestling with our bad news in order to, for it to give way to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And so to leave us today, friends, I do have a, a, couple of, a couple of practical applications that I want to give to you, okay? How do we do this? Practical ways that we, we, that we practically wrestle with bad news. Okay, the first one is that I want to encourage you to confess your sins to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, confess your sins to your brothers and sisters. Um, obviously keeping it appropriate, right? If it's something like a sexual sin, then you don't want to uh, share that with the opposite sex. We want to be wise. It's not it's anything crazy, but you just want to be wise. But regardless, confessing that sin, sharing it with other people um, is one of the best ways for us to actively just see and experience what the grace we read about here, what it looks like in our own lives, right? It's just one of the best ways to do that. Um, the, the second thing is to ask how you're doing. Okay, to ask how you're doing. This is a great practice that just allows others the, the opportunity to speak into our lives and confront us with some things that we probably don't want to hear. Let me be honest. If you are a husband or wife, you have a spouse, right? If you ask this to your spouse, you're probably going to get some answers you don't want to hear. <laughs> you're probably going to get some answers you don't want to hear, right? That's okay. Wrestle with that bad news. Wrestle with it until it gives way to the good news of the gospel, Right? If you're not married, that's all right. That doesn't mean you don't have the opportunity to do this. Do it with your roommates, with your friends. Let's get this incorporated into our discipleship times here at Refuge, in our small groups, right, amongst your, your Christian friends. Wherever you're connected in this community, let's begin to build this rhythm of what it means to wrestle with the bad news of where we are and, and maybe who we are, what we've done, what we're doing, so that it can give way to the forgiveness that spurs us to follow Jesus even more. Right? These are the things I'm praying come from this time uh, that really spurs and begin to develop, again, a, a godly, a grace-filled, forgiveness-filled rhythm that motivates us and propels us to uh, fulfilling the mission we have as a church. Okay, And, and I'm, I'm over time here a little bit, but I got I to gotta end. I got to just take a second to say, if you don't know this forgiveness that we're talking about, this powerful forgiveness that changes our hearts, Right, this forgiveness that invites us to bring our bad news, to bring our junk, to bring our impatience, our our unkindness, our our whatever it is for you. Right? If you are interested in knowing that and you don't know him now, I want to say it is free for you to take, friend. It is free for you to take. I want to encourage you, jump into the video description, let us know. Send us your information. We would love to connect with you and share more about this Jesus that frees us from the shame um, that tries to attack our hearts, okay? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Then we're gonna jump into worship and then we'll jump back in to, uh, to finish up today, all right? Father, thank you so much for, for the good news, Father. Thank you for the good news that, that, 
that really we only fully understand as we wrestle through the bad news. I think of our brother C.S. Lewis who, who said he understood the concept of a straight line by understanding what a crooked line was. Oftentimes we don't, Father, understand like, like what it means to wrestle with this bad news. Yet you give us in your grace and in your mercy, when we do step into it and wrestle that bad news, you grace us with the opportunity to experience love and forgiveness that frees us from the burden of our own conscience, from the burden of our own heart, from maybe the burden of other people. Father, let us know that freedom. Let us know that that joy and let us share that. Thank you for your word that teaches us and enlightens us to who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, love y'all. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 